Our Father in heaven, um, what can we do but say thank you? Your love for us, your love for all people. It's like your word says that you so loved the world, each and every person, that you gave your one and only son, Jesus, that whoever, no matter what we've done, no matter where we've been, no matter what's been done to us, that whoever believes in Jesus would have eternal life. God, you've given us the gift of eternal life, not because of anything we could do. There's no way we could earn it or deserve it, but by your grace. So, Father, we come to celebrate today and say thank you. We praise you and worship you for who you are. And we thank you that you've called us together as your family. We belong together. In Jesus' name, amen. If I say a phrase and you finish it, it'll go like this. Peas and Black and peanut butter and chicken and <laughs> I knew I'd get you with the chicken. We had dumplings over here. We had rice. We had waffles. It kind of depends on how you like your chicken, right? All right. So I planned that with the chicken. But you should also say me and the church. That God intends you to go with the church. That God intends you to belong. And like our title says, we are better together. We belong together. Think about the way that God created. Human beings aren't just born out of nothing. They have a mother and a father. They may not be raised by a mother and a father. And that sometimes happens. But they have a mother and father. They are created to be in families. They belong together. Think about plants. Plants come from seeds. Plants come from rhizome, but they belong together. There is some parentage to that. Think about even inert things like rocks and soil. I know soil is not necessarily completely inert, but even rocks is made of, of elements from a family. It belongs together. The, the very way that God wired the world and created everything out of nothing by his word, it belongs together. We are better together because that's the way that God created it. Scripture tells us with multiple illustrations that we are the body of Christ. It's three in one, the Christ. We are the family of God. God intends us for relationships, and God himself is three in one, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Together, God is. And he calls us together. And if you have any questions still about the fact that we belong together, think about the one another's in the New Testament. Fifty different one another's. That are we to love one another, honor one another, care for one another, share with one another. God intends us to go together. This sermon series, Better Together, highlights one of our values at Southview. That's intentional relationships. That God calls us into because he created us for relationships with one another. In this new series, we've got five sermons, and this is the first one, that we belong together. Next week, we're going to talk about praying together, and we're going to do something cool 
and praying together next Sunday in worship. So come back and join us next Sunday. The following Sunday, we're going to talk about serving together. We see that perfectly illustrated through this day of resurrection, through Vacation Bible School, through Trunk or Treat and all the cool things we do as a church family, through Awana in Sunday School week in, week out as we serve together. And then the following week, we're going to talk about sharing together. That's about evangelism and the gospel. And every one of you can do something that's simple by inviting folks to better together and opening the door for a gospel conversation. There are a thousand of these at our information counter. And I'm also going to ask the deacons at the end of the service to go grab a handful or two and stand out the doors and hand them to you. So new assignment, deacons, be flexible. Pastor Aaron's calling you out, right? Uh, it's just got to happen sometimes. And our final Better Together sermon is that we gather together for worship, for study, because that's what God intends for us. So our scripture of the month comes from next week's sermon. And I'm going to ask you, as is our custom, to read it with me. We read the reference, the verse, and the reference again. James 5.16. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. James 5, 16. You want to know about healing. You want to know about the prayer of a righteous person being powerful and effective. You need to talk to my sister Jennifer over there and buy a car on the internet. Mitch Walker that we've been praying for that's in Madonna to get put back together because he was hit by a car on the interstate in Missouri on December 18th. They've got multiple answers to prayer. I was visiting with Mitch Thursday, and I said, Mitch, man, I'm sorry you've had this setback. He said, no, man, I'm further than I was supposed to be. And he told me again, story after story after story, of even though he's long in in recovery, how God is in the work of healing him. Not just through doctors and medicines, but supernatural things have happened to him. It happens. It's real. But that's next week's sermon. We've got to move on. This week's sermon is from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. And if you haven't already turned in your copy of God's Word, there's a, a Bible in the pew back in front of you, or you can get the Bible app on your phone or whatever, and follow along with us as we read 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. Now, this is not your typical Easter sermon on purpose. This is not your typical fellowship or community sermon on purpose. And as we read it, you'll see why. If you're able to stand with me in the honor of reading God's Word, would you do that as we read 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 1 through 9? Paul, called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ and called to be holy together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank God for you because of His grace given you in Christ Jesus. For in Him you have been enriched in every way, in all your speaking and in all your knowledge, because of our testimony about Christ was confirmed in you. Therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. He will keep you strong to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God, who has called you into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, is faithful. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. You could be seated. 
Well, as is our custom here at Southview, we're going to walk through this scripture and talk about what it means for us, verse by verse, phrase by phrase, and sometimes one uh, word by word. And so your first point on your outline today, illustrating our topic of belonging together, is that we belong to Jesus. We belong to Jesus. Look at verse 1. This is the introduction or the welcome to a letter. Paul's writing a letter to the church at Corinth. So he had established the church, and now he's writing back to them to say, hey, here's some things you need to know, some things I heard about, both your practice and your theology. But he introduces his letter by saying who it's from. An apostle, Christ Jesus, and our brother Sosthenes who's with me. But look at the greeting. To the church of God in Corinth. He didn't call them the church in Corinth. He made sure to remind them who they belong to, God. The church of God in Corinth. It is by God's grace, God's love, that they are saved and called together as a church to remind them from the very beginning. And then notice he goes on to further illustrate that to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be holy. He said the same thing in two different ways. Sanctify means to set apart. It's a fancy word for to set apart or to be holy. Sanctify is kind of a church word. You say if you have a degree from seminary, right? Yeah, sanctified. But for us regular folks, it's you're set apart. You're called to be holy because God is holy and he calls us to be holy. He says, be holy as I am holy. And we're going, how do I do that? I got some sin problems, God. We're going to get to that. But look at what he said to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be holy. And then he goes a little further. Together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. Now, there is the key to being sanctified, to being holy. If you've called on Jesus to be your personal Lord and Savior, he'll forgive your sins. The blood of Jesus, as was sung so beautifully, washes away your sins, and you are saved. You become a Christian, a believer. We use the phrase Christ follower. That means you're an apprentice, a learner, a student of Jesus, and you're following after him. And this is who you are, that you belong to Jesus. Skip all the way down to verse 9. Verse 9 is the end of his thanksgiving section, but look at what he says in verse 9. God, who called you into fellowship with his Son, Christ, uh, or Jesus Christ our Lord, is faithful. So we learn something about the character of God, that he's faithful. We'll talk about that more in a moment. But it goes with this first point, that God called us into fellowship. You know, friends, no matter how good you are, you're never good enough. Just not good, are you? If you're honest about it, you judge yourself and you say, I'm just not good enough to make it. But you compare yourself to the perfect, righteous holiness of God. You know, absolutely positively, you're not good enough to measure up. And that's where you need. I need. We need a savior. And that's Jesus. And what did it say there? God who called us into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Our Lord, meaning that we have committed ourselves to follow him. We have put our trust in him, our faith in him, that he is our savior. And God's the one that called us in. You might be here this morning because you decided, it's Easter, let's go to church. You might be here this morning because somebody invited you. Hey, it's Easter, come to church. You might be here this morning because your mom and dad made you. It's Easter, you're going to church. You know, wear your dress, put on your nice shoes. But the fact is that it's God who called you into relationship with himself. Even though other people may invite you, other people may help you, 
that we belong to Jesus. So your first question there that I ran right over because I'm so excited today is how am I made holy? How am I made holy? Just to go back and answer that for you, you're made holy because of Jesus. The second question there is what does God want from me? That one's a little harder. But if you look back even at those verses, you see that he's called us together. We're in fellowship with his son. He's called us his. There are a variety of ways you might answer that what does God want from me? One word I would give you is this. Simple, six letters. You can write it down right now. Let me get enough fingers up. Belong. God wants you to belong. God does not create Lone Ranger Christians. He made you to belong to a church family. He made you to fit in with brothers and sisters and believers in Jesus. Why do you think when you get saved, you don't immediately go to heaven? Because God wants you to live here on earth, to tell others about him, but also to belong and to be in relationship with other believers in Jesus so that you can encourage one another, teach one another, challenge one another, love one another, serve one another, serve with one another, all the one another's. God leaves us here because that's what he wants from us, to belong to him and to belong to one another. Let's move on to verses 3 and 4. It gets to your second point in your outline. And that second point says we receive grace through Jesus. We receive grace through Jesus. It's not on our own that we are called into fellowship. Verse 9 told us that. But look at verse 3 and 4. Verse 3 is the end of his welcome. And verse 4 starts the beginning of his thanksgiving. But I think they go together in a way. Listen to what it says again. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. That's a typical greeting from Paul. Grace and peace. In other words, I'm extending to you God's grace, but I'm also praying for you God's peace. And where does it come from? From God our Father. Look at verse 4. I always thank God for you because of His grace given you in Christ Jesus. You see how it goes together? Two separate parts of the letter. But one idea. It's God's grace. And it's through Jesus. It's nothing we earn. Nothing we deserve. It is God's grace that saves us. If anybody asks me, what is God's grace? I say, well, I could tell you about Jesus, but let me also tell you about my wife. Her middle name is Karis. It means grace, and she's God's grace to me. And if you know her, she's God's grace to you too. But I imagine you have people like that in your life, whether your spouse, your children, friends, family members, brothers and sisters at church, that you see God's grace in their life as he's given to you. So let's answer that first question there. What is grace? The acronym for it is God's Riches at Christ's Expense. Now, that's not in the Bible anywhere. Some clever person came up with that. God's Riches at Christ's Expense. But the fancy way to say it is it's unmerited favor. It's something you can't earn or deserve on your own. It's something that God gives you freely because of who He is, not because of who you are. The second question there says, how do I benefit from grace? Um, I breathe air. I have a body. I think thoughts, some of them good, some of them not so good. I mean, think of the ways you benefit from grace. Everything about your life 
should be an exercise in God's grace. And I know not everything is easy. Some of you are struggling with now and have struggled with in the past some terrible things I wouldn't wish on an enemy. But God demonstrates his grace to you even through those things. Let's go on to verses 5 and 6 in your next major point on your outline. So we talked about God's grace, that we receive it through Jesus. Your next point there, the third point, is that we possess Jesus' riches. So if grace isn't enough, Paul adds an extra layer on top of it. Now remember, this is the very beginning of the letter, right? And there's going to be some things in this letter that if you're in the church in Corinth, you're going to be like, Paul, I don't really like that you confronted us about that. Granted, they needed to be confronted if you go on and read the letter. But from the top, he's telling them, listen, you belong to God. You belong to one another. It's by God's grace. And let's go on in verse 5 and 6 and see another layer, another explanation of God's grace for verse 5. For in him you have been enriched in every way. In all your knowledge, in all your speaking, um, you've been enriched. Now, you're not enriched with, you know, a better job. Come on, man, God, I'd like another better paying job and that person wasn't my boss. You're not enriched with the car of your dreams. You're not enriched with, you know, this, that, or the other material thing. What are you enriched by? In this scripture passage, from God's grace, in Jesus, you're enriched in all your speaking and in all your knowledge. Anybody else need some of those riches? I mean, do you have words come out of your mouth sometimes that you're like, man, I wish I wouldn't have said that. Yeah, you need some more of that grace of Jesus to enrich your speaking and your knowledge so it comes out. But look at verse 6. Because our testimony about Christ was confirmed in you. Paul says, because we preached the gospel to you and you believed in it, you have God's grace and that has made you rich and you possess those riches because of the gospel, the good news of Jesus. Your first question there asks, where do my riches come from? I'm not going to ask you to jump around very much today, but this one you've got to read with your own eyes. Will you turn over to Ephesians with me? Just a few pages to the right. First and second Corinthians, then Galatians and Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14. This passage, Paul prays for the church at Ephesus about their enrichment through Jesus. Ephesians three fourteen through 21. I'll read it and try not to explain it as is my habit because I'm a pastor, but okay, let's go on. For this reason, I kneel before the Father from the, uh, whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of our glorious riches, or excuse me, out of, through the Spirit, glorious riches, so out of God's glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through the Spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. Did you hear that? There he's praying for knowledge again, but not just any kind of knowledge, knowledge of how much God loves you. And they, because he loves you, he wants to give you power that is supernatural in your life. And to know that his love surpasses knowledge and that you may be filled to the measure of all fullness of God. Full to overflowing, abundant life. That's what we talk about and pray about. And then to make sure you know who he's talking about. 
Because he's Paul and he likes to throw in some praise, verse 20 and 21 is a doxology to this prayer. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power, that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations, forever and ever. Amen? Amen. That's where our riches come from. Our riches come from God through Jesus for His glory. Mm. Let's go on to the second question there. What difference do those riches make? In your life right now, what difference do the riches of Jesus make? Maybe you're like, man, Pastor Aaron, I could tell you story after story this week where Jesus' riches did this in my life and this in my life and this in my life. It's just crazy how he's blessing me. Or maybe you're sitting there going, um, I can't think of the last time Jesus' riches did something for me. Or maybe you're somewhere in the middle. Here's the promise for you. Because it's grace, unmerited favor, and you can't earn it or deserve it, God desires to give you those riches. And God desires to bless you in that way, if you'll let him. For some of us, it's just that we need to take our hands off the wheel, hand him the keys, maybe move to the passenger seat, or maybe we need to move to the back seat and not be a back seat driver and say, okay, Jesus, take the wheel. Because, you know, I'm done some things with my life that it's not going the way I'd hope it to go. And you are God and you are sovereign and you love me and you have grace for me. And maybe I need to let you be in control and I need to take my hands off in order that your riches might flow in my life because of your grace for me. What's implied in my question is that if you have a personal relationship with Jesus and he is your Savior and Lord, it should make a difference in your life. You should be able to tell. People around you should be able to tell. Not just because you attend church on Sunday. Not just because you don't tell dirty jokes or speak in cuss words. But because your life is different. The Holy Spirit's within you. And the grace of Jesus flows through you. And the riches of his speech and knowledge are part of you. That you possess the riches of Jesus. All power. That should make the difference. So if we turn back over to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 7 and 8, gets us our fourth major point on your outline, and that is that we are perfected in Jesus. Now, some of you look in the mirror and you're like, yeah, I'm pretty perfect already. I mean, I know who you are. I've seen you. I see the way you look at yourself, and that's all right. It's good to have a little bit of pride about your appearance and who you are and what you've done. Just don't take it too far because you'll be obnoxious, and we won't like that. Besides, the Bible has something to say about that too. But look at verses 7 and 8. Therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. You hear that? You don't lack anything. In other words, you're perfect. You have all that you need. Now, you might be going, well, wait a second. I lack that spiritual gift. And God's up in heaven going, uh, I didn't give you that one. Wait a second, God. I really want that spiritual gift over there. And God's up in heaven going, I don't intend you to have that one. You don't lack any spiritual gift that the sovereign God of the whole universe chose to give to you because he knew you needed it to do what he wanted you to do with your life. Can I get an Amen. So stop trying to be somebody else. Stop coveting even the spiritual gifts of others. 
and find out what your gifts are and serve as God intended you. We have a sermon about that in a few weeks. Come back. Verse 8. He will keep you strong to the end so that, you know, I love the so that. I resisted saying that earlier in this sermon. So that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. What's our point? We're perfected in Jesus. Not only are you perfect in the way that God has gifted you to serve him and others, but you are perfect in the fact that Jesus died to remove the penalty from your sins. And you are blameless, forgiven, without sin. Can I get an amen? Let's look at your first question there. Your first question asks, what do I need? In your life right now, what is it that you need? And then the second question, not on your outline, but just for you from me. Have you asked Jesus for it? Have you prayed about it? And have you prayed about it some more and some more and some more? Have you found out, was it your will or was it his will? And if it's his will, is there a reason you don't have it yet? What do you need? God doesn't want you to lack anything that you need. You've got to pray and you've got to seek, and you may have to give up something you have in order to get something he has. My God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory, Scripture says. What do you need? Your second question there. I like this one. How does forgiveness change me? Remember what it said in verse 8? So that you will be blameless. On the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though our world tries to make amends, to make things right, to heal wounds, to repair damage, our world and us as humans will always fall short because we're not perfect. But Jesus is perfect, sinless. And the forgiveness he brings in order to make you blameless puts you in God's eyes as perfect and holy. No matter what you feel of your current state, God sees you miraculously, lovingly through Jesus. So how does that forgiveness change you, friend? Does the fact that God gives you grace, that he's enriched you, and that he forgives you in order to perfect you, make you different? How does it change you? You've got a fifth major point. And as I state on your outline, it's one more most important point to follow all the others above because it's built on all the others above and it's implied on all the others above. And that's this. We belong to one another. We belong to one another. Look back in your passage of Scripture. Verse 2, it said, To the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified, we are sanctified, and called together, he says, ours, using that possessive pronoun, and ours. Our fellowship with the Son and our fellowship with one another in verse 9 tells us that we belong to one another. A closing scripture for you, you might want to write on your outline. 
First Peter chapter four, verse eight through ten. First Peter four, eight through ten says this. Above all, love each other deeply. Because love covers a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift he has received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. We belong to one another and God intends us to meet the needs of one another. Let's pray together. Our Father, we're so thankful for what this day means to us. Easter Sunday, a day to remember that you sent your one and only son, Jesus, to live a perfect, sinless life, to pay the penalty for our sins. And for those of us who are willing to commit ourselves to him, to trust him as our personal Savior and Lord, we have the gift of of eternal life, a relationship with you, and the gift of a church family, a relationship with others who have committed themselves to you. So Father, thank you that we are better together and that you've created us to belong together. And we pray that this day as family and friends gather and as we have gathered in this past hour and may continue to gather for the hour ahead in Sunday school, that you confirm again and again for each and every one of us your grace for us, and how you've enriched us, and how you've perfected us because of who you are, and because of what you desire for us. We say thank you, Father, for your love for us. In Jesus' name, amen.